This podcast is proudly sponsored by O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves you back. Hello and welcome to Lunch With Lee. I'm your host Shane Lee. It's been a hard year for many of us and we thought we'd take this opportunity to share some cheer. In today's show, we look at some of the great characters and the funniest moments on Lunch With Lee. So get ready for a good old-fashioned belly laugh. Let's get started. First up, let's start with a story about George Gregan and how he got his nickname Webster. Talk about nicknames, George. Um, we first met, I think, playing <laughs> playing cricket for New South Wales versus the ACT under 17s in Canberra. And then mm. a uh, wicketkeeper that we had called Corey Pearson, who was a ended up becoming a front rower for the Tigers and, and St. George, gave you a nickname. Do you remember what that was? Yes, he did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> it took about oh, – I took. Oh, you remember this day pretty – I think you might remember it pretty vividly. We were at Kingston Oval in Canberra. So anyone who, who's been to Canberra, it's not far from Marnica and it's always a very good deck to bat on. It's very flat. It's very hard for a bowler. Yes, we played was. a two-day game <laughs> against New South Wales 17s about three weeks before the 17s championship. I think we were played in Adelaide. So it was a good warm-up game. As usual, New South Wales went out there and made about two for like 400 <laughs> in the heat and we batted the next day and our coach said whatever we do we need them to bat they, they need to bowl for 100 overs forget about the score we're not chasing the 400 we probably won't get it but they need to stay out there for 100 so don't just just occupy the crease George so I, I followed the good instructions I'm quite coachable <laughs> so I stayed out there for about 5 hours I think it took nearly 5 hours to get 50 runs that's how well I was batting and it was a road it was like you, you just couldn't bat on a better deck like at the ball just went straight up and down. It went a bit quick, but it was there was no movement. It was such an easy place to bat. But I just occupied the crease, and I think about the fourth hour in, <laughs> Corey Pearson, <laughs> I was facing Shane, and he missed, missed the outside edge many times in the first session and kept doing that big long run. His hand would go through his hair, and he'd be giving me the stare and everything. And I'm just going, okay, mate, it was too good. I'm not that good to edge that. You've got to bowl a little bit, bit straighter and don't move it as much, and I might hit it. <laughs> and then, so they throw the spinners on after lunch or whatever it is and Corey Pearson's up at the stumps and he looks at my pads he says mate look at your pads he says hey boys boys like and obviously Meadow and all the gang are sort of around the bat because I actually they probably had about six round the bat like the ball was spinning sideways but it wasn't it was just going straight up and down <laughs> but I was hitting no shots and he's gone mate that are they harrow pads he says are they harrow pads he was calling me George at that stage are they harrow pads he says, hey, boys, he says, George is wearing harrow pads. He hasn't even grown into Mets pads. Is that right, Webster? Then Webster came out. And I've been copping lip from, like, right from the first ball. I turned around. I said, that's pretty good, mate. I said, I, said, I, had to, I couldn't face up to the ball. I said, that's really good. So Webster stuck ever since. <laughs> We're right in the middle of State of Origin right now, and many of you guys would have seen Benny Elias as a bit of a tough New South Wales player. Well, this story is about his mum running on the field when he was injured. And, what, like and Benny, what, what about you? Like, mate, you, you got a, a fantastic career. You're a winner. Um, what's the highlight for you? You captain New South Wales. That, that was must have been a special moment. Um, you played Test matches. Is there a moment where you are most proud of? You thought there was a moment. You know, you, you have many great moments in your life, whether you know on stage or. But the, my greatest moment was when we we played at the Sydney Football Stadium, and we were down one one series to out of the best of three. And um, we had to win this game, and 
I got a cut from ear to ear. Mel Meninga's stud went through my melon and blood started pouring out of my head. And, and I'll never forget, with about 15 seconds to go, I looked at the side of me and there's my mother on the football paddy. <laughs> what the hell are you doing? <laughs> she's jumped the six-foot fence. She's got through security. Wow. And all she was worried about... Was her, son, was her baby. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And she's wiping the blood off my head. Full time came and it was like a frenzy. And we'd won that game. It made it one all in, into the, the side up at Lang Park. But sharing that moment with my mother, God bless her, she's got full dementia now. But sharing that moment now was, was just one of those moments where you close your eyes and you think, my God, well, you know, it was so special. And it's funny because Phil Gould, our coach at the time, he was a bloke that said, yeah, you've got to bleed for each other. You've got to, be, you, you've got to know that you, if you fall over, the, the bloke on the left and right hand side are going to be there for you and and it was such an emotional it was such a big impact game that that, that I could share that all of two minutes at the end of the game with my mother on the football paddock. So was that that great photo of you with the all the blood hanging yeah, the blood, off me? Yeah. Mum came on. Yeah, that was the, that was the night, and it was fantastic. Really was. This next story involves a good mate of mine, Richard Cheekwee, and how sometimes what people say and what people hear are two different things. Cheeks, tell a story when you were in Northern England. When you're inside edge of ball in cricket, it's called a French cut. What do they, what do they call it in England? Oh, I found out the hard way, Shane. Uh, yeah, it was against uh, against a team called Formby. I was actually playing with my brother, and uh, he was at the non-strikers end. And they said, whatever you do, do not wind up their opening bowler. His name's Jerry Byram, <laughs> and he runs in and he just hates Aussies. And I said, well, that's okay. We don't look Australian. He won't know. So – for the first three overs, he ran in off about four steps. He was about 62 years old, and he just let this ball go and just drifted it onto the spot into that corridor of suspicion. And we just couldn't – I just couldn't – I just kept kicking him away. So I thought, I can't do this all day. So I ran down at him and tried to hit him over mid-off, and I managed to get an inside edge, went past leg stump, and because I'd run down the deck, I was halfway down already, so I just walked the rest of the way. <laughs> and he looked at me – they thought that was a sign of arrogance. And I thought, well, I'm just going to trot through. And he stood there with hands on his hips and he stood there and looked at me and he said, fucking Johnny's cut. And I said, what did you say? He said, fucking Johnny's cut. And I said, that's what I thought you said. So off come my gloves. And I picked him up and I was about to nut him when the umpire comes over and says, oi, what's fucking going on? And I said, you heard what he said. And the umpire says, yeah, fucking Johnny's cut. So what? So I grabbed the umpire as well. So I've got them both. And my brother comes running up and goes, yeah, well, I, I'm here with you as well, mate. It's game on here. And Anyway, it's settled down. And he said, fucking Chinese cook. I said, mate, I know what he said. And so I found out in England they call it a Chinese cut. I've always known it as a French, <laughs> Not a French cut. cut. Nice one. <laughs> but in the, bit, in, the thing is, in the bar at the end, we had the greatest night. And that story is now folklore in England. He was sitting in the in the corner with a Hawaiian shirt on, smoking cigars and drinking whiskey. Sixty-two years old, Jerry Byram, and I drank with him all night. And when I left, I had to ask him the question. I said, "Jerry, I got to know, mate. What did you say?" And he looked at me. He said, "You'll never fucking know." <laughs> that was it. I still don't know. So, Jerry, if you're out there, mate, tell me. I need yeah. to know. Next up, Sam Kekovic and Carl Stefanovic. This interview, I found it really hard to even get a word in. It was probably one of my favourite shows, and this story is about PC culture and has it gone too far. 
I was just saying to a mate the other day, we can't call it Lebanese bread anymore. We have to say it's bread of Middle Eastern appearance. And <laughs> and you've and and you found yourself in a little bit of hot water here and there with um with that sort of on that topic. What what, what are your thoughts on how the media? I can't say there? Lebanese bread anymore. Pardon my intrusion. No, I think you can still say Lebanese bread. But you can't say Lebanese cucumber. Um, it's it's got a little bit. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, no, I understand. I understand. But you know, this is where it's gone absolutely haywire. We overdose on tolerance and political correctness. We yeah. need to. Uh, we need linguistic emancipation. Tell them to get stuff. No one owns the language. It's in the tone that it's delivered, Carlos. Yeah, no, I, I understand I, that. I have got myself in trouble a couple of times, uh, but only in, in a very good-natured way. I remember a couple of years ago, um, the the Indian cricket team were out here, and there's nothing better than than hitting the you know, the MCG or the SCG when the Indian cricketers are here. And I was interviewing a whole bunch of fans, and I get you know, I have a very spirited relationship with them, and and so I didn't think anything of it. Um, you know, they were they were, we were talking about how they were going to you know send us all back to the unemployed queues and they, they were having a, a fair old rant. The Indians can fire up, as you know, Shane. Anyway, sure. so so we got to the end of the interview and I said, I just have one question for you guys. Um, who's going to man the 7-Elevens today? And and so it didn't... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did I did I did cop a couple of uh, abusive messages, but they weren't from the Indians. And so I rang the guy straight after and I said, "Mate, you okay?" He goes, "Of course, of course, I was okay with that, Carl. You are, you are very respectful, and we have great fun." Blah blah. <laughs> it came from you know white politically correct Australians who thought they needed to you know somehow enter the equation, have their opinion about things, and look, that drives you mad. You can't in the media. You can't afford. To, you've got to be respectful all the time, but also sure. you've got to be able to have a bit of fun. And, and I think it's gone so far, Sam's 100% right, the other way, that, that there's now a yearning for people in the media who aren't beige, who, who aren't politically correct and who, who who will, you know, have a go and have a say and, and, and talk the way they want to talk because that's who we are. Um, and as long as you don't offend someone, um, I, I've got no problem with it. Next up, I catch up with Laurie Daly, and he tells a story about the first time that he actually met Ricky Stewart. And Laurie, how old were you when you first made your debut for the Raiders? So I was 17 yeah. uh, when I first played for the Canberra Raiders. And I, I remember, and a funny story actually, because my, my father drove me over to Canberra, and we'd actually signed the deal, and I was 16 years of age uh, when I signed for Canberra. And I was only on getting, I think, about $1,000 a year or whatever, but it was a big deal for me. That's a lot of money at the private bin. Yeah, it <laughs> 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 The private bin brings back good memory, Shana. Um, but so so the, the funny thing was that he actually drove me to Canberra. We'd signed the contract and the secretary, they used to call them the secretary managers mm-hmm. in those days, which is today's CEO, yeah. um, he said to my father, he said, well, the young blokes here, uh, they're training tonight. Why, why doesn't he stay and go to training tonight? My man said, good as gold. And he said, well, what are we going to do, John? And John says, well, we'll go and have a drink and we'll have a meal at the, the restaurant here at the, the club. So my father and the CEO, they go to the restaurant and we're not training till 5.30, 6 o'clock that night. And I had no training gear. And I said, John, what do I do for training gear? And he said, all you need is a pair of shoes. He said, because they'll give you clothes at the uh, the training session because you're all sponsored gear. And I said, oh, that's fine. No worries. So my old man said, here's $20. Go and get yourself a pair of runners. And I said, right, no worries. So I'll go and get myself a runner. And you can imagine $20, what that's going to get you. <laughs> so I turn up 
to Seaford Oval, walk in, knew absolutely no one. And they're going, yes, mate, who are you? And I said, oh, Laurie Daly, I've just signed. They said, we'll take a seat. So I took a seat. And um, so as you can imagine, I'm this little guy from the bush. And all <laughs> I could see was a guy like Mal Meninga and Gary Belcher, who I'd watched on television, yeah, wow. uh, playing State of Origin, playing for Australia. And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? <laughs> so anyhow, they hand out the gear. And then I've got my brand new shoes with me. And anyhow, they go, right, I put your shoes on, we're going out the train. So I look around and you see Mal and them putting on their brand new Adidas shoes and yeah. other blokes have got Nike shoes. My shoes were Dunlop volleys. And I could just feel everyone looking at me and they're all laughing at me and they're pointing at me. So I proceeded to train in these uh, volleys and the, as you can imagine, a footy team, they're just taking the mickey out of me. And after the session, the trainer at the time, Sean McRae, comes up to me and he goes, son, I don't know much about you, but you're not going to last long if you continue to train in those shoes. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you talk about you know, the three premierships with that, with that team, right? It'd probably arguably one of the, you know, the greatest sort of teams potentially of all time. You know, Daly Stewart, Walters, Manega, you've got Mullins, you've got options everywhere. Mm. It, it must have been a real thrill for a, for a young country lad to – you know, become part of that and then you know, take over and, and lead that. Yeah, uh, it was exciting, Shane. I, I think when I first went to the Raiders, you know, we had guys, as I mentioned before, the Meningas and Belchers and those guys that were just superstars. And uh, at the same time, there was myself, uh, Ricky Stewart had changed over from Rugby Union to Rugby League. There was uh, Glenn Lazarus who was running around with Queanbeyan Blues. There was Bradley Clyde who was um, – uh, making a name for himself in the yeah, juniors, juniors as well. So we all sort of came through together. Mm. So it was quite um, quite special for us. But just on, on Ricky, I, the first time I ever met Ricky Stewart, well, I didn't actually meet him. I was I shouldn't probably say this, but I was underage and I snuck into the Queanbeyan <laughs> Tigers Club, which is an <laughs> AFL club at that time. It was a Friday night disco. I still call them discos. My kids laugh at me. Did again. you have your Dunlop bollies on as well? <laughs> no, 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 Dunlop bollies. <laughs> Anyhow... I remember being at, at the bar and the, and the family I was living with, they had a couple of boys and, and uh, they were all 18. And then yeah, they go, well, that's Ricky Stewart. I said, oh, who's Ricky Stewart? And they said, oh, he plays for the Wallabies. You know, he's, he'd be a really good league player. And I thought, oh, right, oh, he's played for the Wallabies. He'd just come back from the tour. So I'm sort of looking at him because I'm thinking, oh, I haven't seen too many stars before and I didn't sort of know too much about him. Well, Anyhow, I looked over and he's got a bourbon in his hand. He's picking the ice out of it, throwing <laughs> ice at people's head, and they're looking around, seeing <laughs> where the ice is coming from. I think this makes a bit of a loser. <laughs> so anyhow, I always tell him that story. I always have a bit of a laugh about the first time I uh, I really knew him, and then we've just become great mates ever since. Um, the first time I sort of met him and, and we connected, we had a great sort of bond on the field. But uh, sure. he was a, he was a wonderful player. He actually he, he he actually made me the player I was because he could just throw me a ball thirty meters away, yeah, right in the um, chest, and then yeah, and just hit me on the chest, and I'd be outside of the person that was defending me, which made my job a lot easier. The next story involves Mark Hughes, the former Newcastle Premiership player, and how he became responsible for Andrew John's immortal status. All three of you guys were involved in a first-time Premiership. Brett, yourself, with the Melbourne Storm. Mark, with the Newcastle Knights. And, and Jude, you with the Swans. Mark, how was that back in 997? It was unbelievable. You know, one town, one team. It had been in since 88, you know, and it come down to that last minute game. 
still feels like yesterday in some ways, but a long time ago. And Matt Johns went for the field goal right on the bell and hits the upright. The ball comes rolling out and into my mitts. Most players would have knocked it on, but I managed to hold on. Um, and then I passed the ball to Darren Albert, the blonde-haired winger from Scone, and he gets tackled about six or eight metres in from the sideline. So I went down to what we call the blind side, the short side. And I'm right on the sideline and Andrew Johns gets into dummy half and Matthew Johns is calling it in the middle to go for the one point again. This is the last 30 seconds of the game and I'm yelling out, it's on down the short side, you know, it's on down here and Joey has a look and uh, keep in mind this one play propelled him to immortal status and I called it. So, (laughs) So on my call... He comes down the blind side and you watch it. You, it's all true. And he's like doing this to me, like teasing me. Like I'm, he's going to pass to me and I'm saying, give me the ball, give me the ball. <laughs> I only had Spud Garrell coming across. I would have palmed him off. <laughs> he goes inside to Darren Albert, the fastest man in rugby league. I don't know why he'd do that. And uh, he runs around and scores and that was it. And then that did, the whole town went into raptures. You know, it was just the trip home, back to the workers club, people everywhere. We had 100,000 at a street parade. Didn't buy a beer for a while, which was, was fun. It was just, yeah. Amazing time. Has Joey ever thanked you for calling the short side? Mate, no, he doesn't no? acknowledge it. He ignores it. Rude. Yeah, and you look at the footage, not next time, you'll see it. You'll see it's all true. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but wow, fun times, and you couldn't write the script any better than, than you know, we, were just, we just struggled and struggled and struggled for 79 minutes, and we found a way to win. And I think it was that support, that red and blue army we had behind us that got us across the yeah. line, yeah. One of my funniest lunches I felt as a host was with Michael O'Loughlin and Stu Gregor. And this is a story Michael tells about how Ron Barassi couldn't remember his name. The culture of the Swans during that period is as good as any sporting culture in any team around the world, I reckon. It's such a strong, committed bunch of guys yeah. who really fall for each other. And what, what have you taken out of that now into business life? So I own a, essentially a cleaning business and we clean all the... Uh, Australia Posts, and we do all the ACT for the government. It's very, very humbling, but it's amazing because we're creating opportunities for, for our people, and it's amazing. I just hired my brother the other day, and he's um, he was looking for a raise. And, uh, <laughs> like all yeah, brothers? Yeah, yeah, like all brothers. You know what I'm talking about. I ain't yeah. fucking two of them in my house. Oh. <laughs> How much do you just want to whack them off? Yeah. Like, get, the, get the hell awake. Um, but it's, it's amazing. So... It is very, very humbling going from what you learned at sort of Swan's Land and, yep. and obviously Paul Roos is a massive part of that. Mm. Before that, I had Rodney Ead and before that, I had Ron Brassi. So, Ron Brassi yeah. is a pretty elite threesome of coaches, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, and it's just, again, like uh, <laughs> when I got to Sydney in 90, end of 94, ready for the 1995 season, Ron Brassi was calling me Martin O'Loughlin. At, <laughs> And, and you walk down the, the hallway and he goes, hey, g'day, Martin. I'm like, yeah. yeah hey, Just going to go with that. Yeah, Mr. Barassi. I do, yep. Mr. Barassi. <laughs> Who am I to correct Ron Barassi? And it was just unbelievable. That went on for about three months and uh, someone had to remind Ron that it was actually Michael. And uh, <laughs> How old were you in 94 then? I was 17. So your first season you were so, 18? No, no not, not as it is like nowadays it's 18, 17. So so you changed your name to Michael at 18? At 18. <laughs> <laughs> Too bold. Um, but that's – you get to this joint and you go, what am I doing here? Yeah. This place is a rabble. They're on the bottom of the ladder yeah. and the coach is calling me Martin and <laughs> I'm like, Mum, I don't know if they know if I'm actually here. So <laughs> you ring back home to Adelaide and it was just uh, – it's amazing. And then – where we are today, and you mentioned sort of the, the culture, but that took – everyone thinks overnight 
two years. That yeah. happened no, a long time. over a long period of time, man. We'll take a quick break now and we'll be back after lunch on Lunch with Lee. It's no secret I love a gin. And one of our sponsors here, Lunch with Lee, is the Gin Society, which I happen to be a member of. When you sign up, they'll send you a full-size bottle of amazing craft gin delivered to your door every two months, plus the latest issue of their beautiful Gin Journal magazine and a surprise gift absolutely free. Each gin is sourced by a team of experts looking for exclusive, unique and exquisite drops from around the world. A subscription to the Gin Society is your passport to the world of craft gin. No strings attached. Cancel any time. Check out the website, www.ginsociety.com. All listeners of Lunch With Lee can enjoy an exclusive $20 off their order when they join the Gin Society. Simply visit www.ginsociety.com. Just use the code LUNCHWITHLEE20 at checkout. Spartan Sports is recognised as one of the world's most exciting and innovative sporting brands with a community focus. Our product range across cricket, rugby, football, volleyball, basketball and fitness has been developed to sell directly to any club, school, corporate or individual. Go to our website and order directly to your front door, www.spartansports.com. Spartan Sports, unearth the warrior in you. John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. In 2003, he dreamed of producing a great-tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass-produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves you back. In my career, I played with some out-there characters, Greg Matthews at the top of the tree. Sometimes people will say some weird stuff. Are you... You do notice the little things, Mo. I remember once, um, I can't remember what context it was in, but you said to me, do you know the most erotic thing I've ever seen? Oh, do you? And I said, what, what's that, Greg? And he said, just saw Viv Richards eating a mango. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Man. 1984. <laughs> Man, that scene had no anything left on it. It was like those big white teeth yeah. nailing. Were there other mangoes lined yeah. up behind it? <laughs> I'm like, pick me, pick me. Viv, Viv, cut. Viv, Viv is a super guy. I think even both of I were the only two white cricketers. I'm not being racist, but as Viv, you and Beefy, the only two white cricketers I've had in my home. He invited me to his home in 84. I, I, got on, I don't know why, but I got on very well with him, and I think I got him out more than Ian Botham as well, two, three times. Um, all caught in the fence, mind you. You know, <laughs> one but he, but he used, he, and he still does. He, oh, he walks in a room now, Vivi. He owns it. There's some serious energy around him. Yeah, yeah. He's just. And we've been tough to bowl too, too, I'm sure. Although yeah. you said you knocked him over quite a few times. I, I got lucky against Viv. It's crazy. He, he, he tended to play a, a bit harder against friends in Verticoms. Like Beefy didn't have a lot of luck. Yeah. Um, and oh, not, mate, not me either, but I, I did get Viv. I didn't get a lot of opportunities with the ball as such. Um, but um, Viv, I got, got a few times, great. This next story is about one of the greatest players of all time, Brian Lara. Even the greatest players start at the bottom of the tree. 
Brian, talking about fast bowlers, I think you quoted as saying the greatest fast bowler you faced in your time was Wazim Akram. Is, is that true? Yeah, Wazim, um, for his deception and pace, he swung the ball. And, you know, even listening to Brett now in the commentary box and the way how he explains what happens when you want to bowl an in-swing, out-swinger, I think he defied all of those in terms of he would show me an action that's supposed to come into me, the ball, and then he'd get it to leave. And he was just an amazing fast bowler, uh, Wasim Akram. And I always felt that if I scored 400, which I did, and I walked out to bat the next day full of form, and Akram was at the top of, at top of his mark, he could still make me look silly. Sure. That's how I felt about him. I think he was definitely the best that I've come up against. And Malcolm Marshall, the late Malcolm Marshall, mm. the best I've ever played with. I think most guys say, say Malcolm, yeah, but the, the one guy that I found bloody difficult was, was Kurtley Ambrose. What, what's the story about, Brian, you, you rooming with Kurtley? Well, <laughs> I, it was strange because over the years, I've, you know, I had, uh, I think I started with Jeffrey Dujon, um, Malcolm Marshall, Desmond Haynes, and they were all guys who, you know, they were, I don't know, tired of me because I, I was very young and I wanted to learn the game as quickly as possible. So outside of, a practical game I'll get into my room and I'll be asking questions and they want to go to sleep so eventually you know after a few years I got curtly and I remember the first thing he told me was listen that side of the room is yours don't touch anything that I have don't touch me and that's it don't touch and, me and the first the very first day I'm putting my luggage in I'm just dragging my suitcase and he's seven foot tall the bed is only about five and a half and his feet's hanging off the bed, and I just passed and brushed it. And he held me by my, by my collar and put me up against the wall. But luckily, the room door was jammed, and Courtney Walsh was passing, and he saw what was happening, and he ran in the room. He said, what happened? He said, I told him, man, do not touch anything that I have, nor me. And he did. But uh, Courtney wrestled curtly and got me to the ground. And from that day, you know, we became very good friends. You know, I tried to arrange a few a few things for him, you know. It was, you know, you talk about those um, beautiful girls in Trinidad. And, and, you know, I just tried to see if I can coax my way into some little, you know, friendship with him. But eventually we became very respectful to each other. My next two guests, Jeff Thompson and Len Pascoe, actually went to school together. And this is a story about Len Pascoe what his dad did to his brand new bike. Well, what about that day you your father bought you a bike, Laddie, and you whinged about it, it wasn't the one you wanted. <laughs> the old man smashed it to bits. Oh, really? <laughs> How about that now? <laughs> he didn't, he's, he didn't he's whinge lobbed, about that again. <laughs> he's lobbed out the front of our place there at Greenacre with a load of bricks and said, come on, give me a hand putting them off, and I've got this bike off you for Christmas and I'm polishing it up. And he said, you get in this truck. I said, no. He got out of the truck, picked up the, the bike and smashed it. But he bent the wheels the bloody lot. He said, now you're going to get in the truck. <laughs> I learned a lesson there. Respect your elders. <laughs> One of the great bands when I was growing up were the Choir Boys. The song Run to Paradise was written by this guy, Mark Gable. He tells some interesting stories. He's one crazy cat. Mark, growing up for you, was music always going to be your thing? I think it was, you know, because I was uh, 13, and I won't tell you what year that was, 1963, um, and the Beatles arrived. Did I said the year, didn't I? The Beatles arrived, and I went, 
that looks easy <laughs> because I'm dyslexic. Or at least my mother presumed that I was dyslexic because I get letters around the wrong way. Like, you know, uh, spelling a word like Shane, for instance, uh, you know, the A and the, you know. Really? You write them backwards? Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? I see, you know, it, I'll look at words, right, and I'll go, that, can you swear on this show? Swear, swear away. Well, I, you know, I, I think, well, I couldn't think of a swear word, but, you know, I think it says <laughs> something like, you know, dysfunctional, debauchery, you know, um, bottom hole, you know, when it actually says... Shane. Yeah, you know, it says McDonald's, <laughs> you know, Shane. Right. But anyway, the point being is I thought... I'll do, I looked at the Beatles, right, and I remember looking at Paul McCartney and going, he looks so happy, you know. i I got to do this, you know. This looks like it's a lot of fun, you know. And I was very shy around girls, so I just started doing music. And look, I can even remember the first song that I wrote when I was 17, and I'm going to sing you a bit of it now because it, just, it came back to... No, it's not fantastic. <laughs> it came back to me, like, all uh, about a month ago. Please be my evil Sunday... Preach innocence to me right now. No, what? I don't know the rest of the song. Don't quite understand what just got said. I just said, please be my evil Sunday. <laughs> right. Preach innocence to me right now. That's genius. You spend, I already spent some time with yourself there. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the only, only bit that I can remember of the song. Curtains were drawn? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for Lunch With Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to all the guests that have come on the show and had lunch with us this year. I also want to thank our sponsors, the Gin Society, Spartan Sports and O'Brien Beer. And thanks to Hilton Headley for your hard work behind the scenes and making things happen. And I'd also like to thank you, the listeners. Come find us on our socials. I'm at Lunch With Lee. And we'll be back next week with some more crazy cats speaking about sport, music and business on Lunch With Lee. We'll see you then. Get